0: have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio.
1: Square footage, meaning when you buy a home, you got 3,000 square feet, you got got 1,000 square feet, whatever. That is the most expensive space we buy. Cubic feet. That's where we start to use our vertical space Is some of the least expensive that we have. Yet, that's probably one of the most underutilized areas in our homes. Do you have a question about your home, inside or out? Call Ken, the
0: contractor. Our phone lines are now open if you have a question for Ken Patterson. He is Ken the Contractor. He's here to take your calls at one eight hundred six one four two nine seven five. 614 2975 That's one eight hundred six one four two nine seven five. 614 2975 And we're going to take one of those calls right now as we say hi to Sally. Sally, hi. You're on the
1: air with Ken the Contractor.
2: Hey, how you doing?
1: Good, Sally. Thanks for the call today. What's up?
2: Um, I'm calling for my mother. Um, on her front porch, she has got two big columns, pillars, and they're, they are I don't know how tall, maybe 20 feet tall. They're oh. huge. Okay. And they're made out of concrete, we believe. And the house, I'm going to guess, is maybe, I don't know when the pillars were put there, but we're guessing 75 to 100 years. I mean, it, it, they're pretty old. But they seem to be in good condition, but they need to be redone or refurbished. And we don't know who to get or who does that kind of work.
1: Tell me what's happening to them. Are you seeing the surface? Is it spalding? Uh, or...
2: Yes, uh, a little crumbly in places, um, a top around where the porch is attached and maybe to the bottom a little bit, just kind of crumbling. Not not bad, but just, you know, just resurfaced. You can just tell it, the weather has really affected them.
1: Okay, there are a lot of products made for resurfacing or refurbishing concrete, mortar, block, brick, and so forth. Uh-huh. A company called QuickCrete is a national company that manufactures more than 200 concrete repair products or even new uh-huh. products for that. Mm-hmm. So that might be a product line you would want to take a look at, but in ter- the direct answer to your question is, first, I would be looking for a skilled mason. Okay. One that can deal with not only brick block, but these pillars, whether they are cast concrete or whether they're stone or whether right. they happen to be brick that may have been parged. Now, when you say these are right. seventy-five to hundred years old, in that time period, columns were constructed in those three manners. There, there were other right. ways to do them, but that was pretty typical. Uh-huh. And you're thinking these are solid concrete, were cast.
2: Well, they seem to be. I mean, but we can't. T- you know, you can't really yeah. tell. I okay, mean, so they're it, very. They're not hurt in any way, as far as shaking. They're so big. They're. I mean, I can't get my arms around them.
1: Are they fluted? Or are they just round and smooth?
2: They're round
1: and smooth. Okay. They, they may well be solid brick that has a plaster coat on the exterior of those. That's not okay, uncommon that for this time be. period. That's the reason I suggest to you a mason that uh-huh. is skilled at doing restoration work. These will be men or women that can refurbish old fireplaces as well as brick and do tuck pointing or replace brick on old structures. They will be okay. able to deal with this column regardless of whether it needs to be reparged or whether you actually have to have some element, some part of it taken out and reinstalled. Right. And then the right. products you're going to be looking to use, they will know this, will be manufactured by companies, again, like Quickcrete that are specifically okay. designed to adhere to these surfaces once they're properly uh-huh. prepped so that they will stay long-term. And then if this is a plaster coat, you may want to go through, deal with both of these columns in the sense of replastering them from top to bottom, much, right. like, much like you would repaint. But in this case, if it's not paint but it's plaster, that's going to give you a good, clean, smooth look once again, and they're going to look new, and they'll sit there for another 75 to 100 years as long as you you keep the water out of them. And I'm really happy that you're calling about this because if you let this go, and you hear Uh me talk about this, if you let this go and you find that water starts getting into it, getting into the inside, it expands and it freezes, the columns Uh are going to rapidly deteriorate.
2: Right, right. Okay. All right, that helps out a lot. Thank you so much.
1: Thanks for the call. We appreciate you listening. Uh
2: Bye-bye.
0: If you'd like to join us, our contact number is 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975.
1: All right, we're going to go to another segment here uh, in, in this particular section here. We're going to talk about something that affects all of us, certainly can, on the interior of our homes. We were just talking about some outside maintenance, but let's think of a little bit about safety, carbon monoxide detectors. We've talked about this from time to time on the show, but only in passing. Folks, if you happen to have any gas appliance in your home, it can be a a heater in your bedroom, it can be a gas fireplace, it can be a gas stove, a gas furnace, whatever it is. If you have combustion going on the inside of your house, you need to have a carbon monoxide detector. Now, in recent years, building codes up and down the East Coast have been modified in some states, But I will tell you, for example, I happened to be in Delaware yesterday talking to some people involved with with building code work there, and they said in Delaware, it's not required. You can put in all kinds of gas furnaces and other devices, and you don't have to have a carbon monoxide detector. I believe Pennsylvania and Virginia have modified their codes where you do in new construction. So whether it's in the building code or not, this is one of those things I want to suggest to you, and if you can't buy it. So you put it on your Christmas gift list for a relative to furnish you with one of these things. They cost $50 or less in most places, a carbon monoxide detector. The simple versions will plug into a wall outlet so that they function with line voltage all the time, but they have a battery backup in them. So if the power's out, you still have that. What they're doing is detecting this colorless, odorless gas that can kill. This isn't just something that's going to make you sick. But if you happen to have a gas fireplace or a stove that may be functioning but not functioning correctly, especially an older model that doesn't have all the safety switches and sensors in it, it could be creating an issue where carbon monoxide is building up inside your home. Some typical signs will be dizziness, lightheadedness, Uh, This can overcome people, and you don't know it, especially if you're asleep. People die from this. It's a serious matter. But yet we haven't fully addressed it in our building codes, at least uh, up and down the East Coast or, or nationwide for that matter. I think it's coming. But in the meantime, do yourself a favor and maybe save your life or a friend, a relative, or somebody else. Invest a few dollars in carbon monoxide detectors. Now, I want to go one step further. As Ron is here And I rely on Ron as our tech guru to talk about how we monitor all of these things. When it comes to our homes, carbon monoxide detectors, just like the cameras that we've talked about from time to time, as well as smoke and fire systems, all tie tie back into computer systems. Ron, there are systems and computers and software out there today that allow us to even monitor these levels, I believe, in homes if we want to go back to monitoring a loved one somewhere else from a remote location. Is that correct? You know,
3: I would think there would be, but in checking for that, I was not able to find anything on carbon monoxide. Wow, that's that's surprising. Everything else you can, temperature, uh, all that kind of thing you can, but I was not able to find anything on carbon monoxide.
1: Now, that is interesting. It <laughs> sounds like this is a program you need to write, Yeah, I like to and there's a retirement. Hey, be, there you go. You put that thing out in the marketplace.
3: I have a question for you about it. Right. Where's the best place to put them? Do you put them near your doors, near the fireplace, in the closets? Very good. What's the best place? Carbon
1: monoxide detectors need to be specially located near rooms where you have the combustion. But the key thing is they don't mount high. We are all familiar with fire uh, and smoke alarms yeah, being in mounted within yeah. 8 inches. Different codes vary a little bit, but right. usually within 8 to 12 inches of the highest spot in that area. Carbon monoxide detectors, on the other hand, need to be mounted low and close to the floor. And that's because this settles at a lower level, smoke rises, the heat. So if you purchase these or someone gives you one, be sure you know where it goes. And at this point, if our tech guru says it's not available to be monitored, maybe it's something to ask about your security company.
0: We're going to take a quick break, gentlemen, and we'll come right back. Our phone lines are open. If you have a question for Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor, about your home inside or out, you can reach us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Ken the contractor is here to take your calls ken patterson is ken the contractor have a question about your home inside or out join us 800-614-2975 that's 800-614-2975 let's go back to the phones edward is with us right now edward hi you're on the air with ken
4: hi gentlemen um the situation is that carbon monoxide situation where it should ideally be uh install low but i just uh remembered when I heard that is that I, we purchased one from my mother and it was a combination smoke and carbon monoxide so it's up near the ceiling.
1: <laughs> yeah it, again follow the instructions on those combination units the carbon monoxide will build up but the best way to detect it is to keep it down low and if you're buying a standalone carbon monoxide detector that's what they're going to tell you on the instructions. Now you're not putting it on the floor but okay. uh, the well, the, you know, the idea is that I was
4: wondering if I could put it like halfway up the wall that way They'll pick up the from the top and the cover,
1: like I said, from the bottom. Well, you know, again, I refer you back to the manufacturer's instructions. Okay. If, if they're telling you um, between the two sensors that are in there that it needs to be located near the ceiling, uh, then that's where it yeah. should be. Always well, we follow need... the manufacturer's instructions, especially these items that are UL-rated. They've been tested. They've been put through certain, uh, I'll say, priority list of items that people need to be aware of, and that's what they're telling you to do. But whether you're buying a standalone device or a combined device, install it where they tell you. They have determined that it can be equally effective in that particular location.
4: Well, we probably didn't read the instructions because we've been putting smoke detectors in for years. <laughs> okay. And my mom is 95 years old, living in little by herself. So we got one that has the vocal in it. So it talks to her in English. Like, guess it's just buzzing. Hi, right, well, thank you, gentlemen. It's been yeah. great help. I'll
1: take care of it. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening.
0: Thanks. We appreciate your call. Again, if you'd like to join us, it's 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975.
1: I want to stay with the, this question we had for just a moment, talking about putting in portable devices, meaning those that are not hardwired or built into your home. This would be a retrofit. When you, again, when you purchase these, always follow the manufacturer's instructions. But I also want to suggest that you look at the many brands that are on the marketplace because he just indicated that he put one that also talks to them. I heard that. And this can be important to people that may be visually impaired or hearing impaired. Now, in the case of hearing impaired, it's not just can they hear a particular sound, an audible alarm, but can they hear the tone or the frequency. I happen to have a relative that cannot pick up the high-pitched sounds of an ordinary fire alarm system. And so in this case, they ordered what's called a loud and low. It's a low tone which this individual can readily hear. So don't assume just because you have an audible alarm that everyone can pick up on this. Secondly, people that may be hearing impaired that cannot hear loud, uh, not just loud, but low pitches or The high pitches, you may need something that also offers a strobe light on it. And many of these manufacturers, for residential use, offer these devices that will have a strobe like you will see in a commercial application. So I want you to be aware of that when you're out there in the marketplace. Buy what suits you. I don't know, Ron, you and I were, as we talk about the technology of it's not always older people, but just anyone with physical disabilities, um, you need to take these things into consideration, just like you were talking about the computers and the software and their ability to monitor and use this technology.
3: You know, I would say, too, just like you said with that, follow the user's and the uh, owner's instructions or the seller the retailer. Uh, Same thing with computers. Same thing with tablets. I get uh, questions and calls every now and then about people that can't get their computer to do certain things. They didn't read the directions. So that's a big deal in everything. Just pay attention to what it says. And I know the books are boring. Uh, of course, nowadays
1: with computers, you do Only don't tech get books. gurus like <laughs> reading those right. books, I, right? I like reading instructions. That's the reason things. I send you emails you as the tech guru saying, now what do I do, Ron? That's it.
3: But uh, I like reading those things, I have to say. But anyway, now all of them come uh, built into the computer or the device you get. Uh, and I even saw the other day where there's a car being advertised now that comes with a tablet PC that has all the instruction information inside the tablet in the car's glove compartment.
1: Crazy. It's amazing. We're all online. We're all in a technology world. Fortunately, I'm still a sticks and stones guy. They haven't figured out how to build houses and office buildings on the computer other than in the virtual world. They'll get robots one day. I'm sure they will.
0: Our (laughs) phone lines are open at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And we say hi to Kay. Kay, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor.
2: Hi. Uh, I think our septic, system is failing Uh uh-oh and so what do you do what's the first step and also i want to know does water softening salt do anything to the septic tank
1: okay well let's take this two steps at a time first off you think it's failing because obviously uh, your drains aren't functioning properly the bathtub's not draining the toilets aren't working right is is that your assumption
2: well well they were still working okay but it was uh we told someone to, you know, pump it, and it was full, and they seemed to think something was happening. I don't know. Maybe I could okay. to the uh, Okay. Well, the, the about, how, about
1: that, how, uh, old is, how old is the system? The I'm sorry. How to the top. Okay. How old is the system?
2: Well, what? it was put in in 69.
1: Okay. And so this is the original drain field then? Yes. Okay. You may well be right. Over time, especially if the septic tank is not... Uh, pumped on a pretty regular basis, the drain field will silt in. And if this goes back 40 years or so, it's probably time to be looking at a new one. Hopefully you have enough area on your property that you've got what today is referred to as a reserve space where new drain tiles can be installed. doesn't mean you need a new tank. Don't let somebody convince you that you need a new septic tank. You would need a new drain field. You'll have to go through the health department and through a qualified installer and get a permit for this. The health department will come inspect, be sure that it perks okay, But that's something that certainly should not be as costly as a complete new system. So I would caution you, number one, don't let somebody convince you you need a new tank and everything coming from the house out, when in most cases, unless it's collapsed in some fashion, you only need an additional drain field. But your second part of the question deals with chemicals and softeners. There are certain items that are very harmful to septic systems. You need that bacteria that builds up in a septic system to constantly live and thrive. If you take oxygen away from it, if you take food source away from it, then it's going to die. It will not break down the solids, and what happens then are these solids flow into the drain field. The drain field is designed only for liquids, and it's absorbed into the ground, it's filtered, and it's purified as, as any liquid either evaporates, number one or two, gets back into the water system. It's all purified once again. So read the side of anything you're using, whether it's a uh, water softener chemicals you're trying to treat for for iron or um, or just the softness, the hardness itself, and be sure it says it's safe for septic tanks and drain fields. Dishwashing detergent, washing machine detergent, all of these you want to be sure they are septic tank friendly. And if they're not, then you're doing just what you 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 know, are raising the question of you are harming or killing that bacteria and you're shortening the life cycle of the drain field that you have. But given that it's 40 years plus in age, I think you probably just have your money's worth out of it, and it might be time to entertain a bit or two, but always get at least two. I recommend people get three and talk to people about it, ask the same questions, and move forward from there, and hopefully that will help you out.
0: Okay, thank you. We appreciate your call. We've got to take a break. We'll come right back. Our phone lines are open if you have a question or comment for Ken Patterson. Ken, the contractor, you can reach us at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And don't forget, you can also post your questions online at our website. That is KenTheContractor.com. Again, our number is 800-614-2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back, and thanks for joining us this weekend. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. Our phone lines are open. If you'd like to join us, the number to dial, 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And also with us this weekend is Ron Doyle, our tech guru. If you go to Ken's website, KenTheContractor.com, you'll find the link right on the front page. You'll see Ron Doyle and then his website, which is RonTheTechGuru.com. You can follow up on what we're talking about on the air, online through Ron's website. We're going back to the phones right now it's Sean who is ready to join us. Sean, you're on the air with Ken the Contractor.
5: Hi, Ken. How you doing?
1: Good. How can I help you today?
5: Uh, I have a question about uh, insulation. I'm looking at a new home, and it's got a great utility space where I'm hoping to set up a wood shop. But uh, when my wife and I were looking at it, she noticed that in the room right above, she can hear me just talking down there. And uh, aside from just soundproofing so I'm not filling the house with the sound of my woodworking power tools, I'd also like to make sure that it's going to be insulated from any dust or debris I might kick up while I'm working down there.
1: Okay, and this is uh, an open area right now, open joist space?
5: Yeah, it's an open joist space. Um, There's insulation in the walls, but the the walls are open right now, so you can see the insulation and you can see the joist space above.
1: All right, so you're looking into an open joist space, which means you're seeing the bottom of the subfloor for the, the floor level above you. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Well, in order to reduce the sound, I'm not going to tell you unless you're going to spend a fortune that you're going to make this like a production studio, but to substantially reduce the sound, you certainly want to introduce some insulation. You may want to go beyond just insulation and look at what's specifically designed as a sound deadening insulation. It's a more dense material. You also may want to look at layering that, two different layers with the sound space in between it. One would be a layer that would be attached to essentially the, the top cord of those joists, and then allow an airspace in between that and attach another layer to the bottom. Density is important, but that airspace also eliminates the ability of sound to continue to transmit and work its way into that floor above. So those are two elements that you can do yourself with ordinary insulation at uh, the standard market price. If you get into specific sound deadening materials, it's going to cost more, but it will do a much better job. In addition to that, you need to end up with some type of surface below that to retain this insulation or sound-deadening material if you're going to have a lot of woodworking in the shop area. And, and I would also, for you and other listeners that have indoor wood shops, you want to be sure that you have adequate exhaust because dust that's created from saws, table saws, uh, scroll saws, and other items uh, become flammable. And once you fill the air with a certain amount of dust, all it, t- dust, all it takes is a spark, and you can ignite that and create a, a an instant fire. So be sure that you are properly venting not only this space, but anybody else that has interior workspace that creates a dusty environment of any kind, even if you're not cutting, if you're sanding, certainly if you're doing interior paint. Be sure that you have an adequate exhaust system, and if you're exhausting air, you need to bring air in because if you don't, it's going to rob air from other places in the house. It's going to steal heating and cooling around the doors and under the doors and suck that through there. So you want to create an intake exhaust as well that's sized for the same cubic feet per minute as the exhaust fan. But, again, put those in, the air intake, the exhaust. Look at the sound, insulation, and the levels that we've talked about are the layers and install some type of a surface on the bottom of the joist, and that's going to be about as tight as it gets, short of building a production studio.
5: Okay. Now, uh, one more thing with that. In the area that, uh, in the joist space, there are some junction boxes and uh, other wiring, and I know... At least I think by code you still have to be able to get to those junction boxes if they're there. Yeah. So, Good question.
1: Never, never, never cover a junction box. A junction box and a sewer or water clean-out or valve must always be accessible. Even if you live in an area where the code doesn't say that, it's just a good practice. They are there for a reason for maintenance purposes and for safety purposes in and around your home. So for you and anybody else listening, never cover any of those. You can cover them, but always leave an access panel and mark it so you or others know what's behind that and make it readily accessible, not involving special tools or drills or whatever to get to it.
5: Okay. So I can do that even with a ceiling, like you know the panel behind a shower. When you have access to the plumbing, I could still drywall my ceiling, but just put a panel right there.
1: That's correct. Terrific. So now you've got, got you another weekend task. Good luck. I do. Thank you. Have a good day. Thank you for the call.
0: If you'd like to join us, our phone lines are open at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And don't forget, friend us on Facebook at Ken the Contractor, and follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers.
1: All right, we've got a uh, an indoor question that involves some plumbing. This one comes to us from Paul in Virginia. He says, who installs bathroom grab bars in a one-piece tub-shower unit? It says the wall flexes where the bar needs to be. Paul, this is a question that a lot of us are dealing with these days. Just as Ron and I have been talking about the technology for for older folks and monitoring things and so forth, we're finding in some cases, for our own benefit, that we're having to go back into our current bathrooms and maybe add a grab bar to just for safety purposes. And these fiberglass or acrylic tub shower units are not designed for that. They do not have the adequate reinforcing to support that. But there are, fortunately, many products that have been developed in recent years that allow you to do exactly this because you need a solid-mounted grab bar, and, again, it can't flex. It's got to be able to support by code, I believe, 300 pounds vertically on that bar. That's a pretty heavy load in order to be safe and secure. One manufacturer of this product, and what I'm talking about is referred to as a solid-mount grab bar anchoring system. Now, that's a lot, a solid-mount grab bar anchoring system. There are many manufacturers today that uh, that have these on the market, but one is called Adaptive uh, Access, and I've used this particular device from this manufacturer and others with great success. And again, the key will be, as Ron and I were talking earlier, follow the manufacturer's instructions. If you don't, you're going to have some problems and you can end up tearing up your shower walls. They anchor through the fiberglass into a stud, and they provide a secure watertight mounting area for the grab bar, which is the issue. The grab bar can't mount to the fiberglass. So again, follow these instructions. It involves creating a hole in the fiberglass shower itself. There's typically going to be a space that may be anywhere from three quarters to two inches between that fiberglass wall and the stud itself. So these devices are made so that they can be unscrewed or screwed in tighter. They're adjustable to fit that opening. And then there is a set screw that mounts it. It's hard fast to that stud. And then the fiberglass itself, there's a flange that goes around that. And then the grab bar is mounted to this device in case you're just, if you, hopefully you can follow that. But if not, read those instructions. This is a secure device. If you follow the instructions, it will work well and it will do exactly what you want it to do. But again, this is a critical safety item. You don't want to skimp on this. Somebody could be seriously injured if it's not installed properly. But there are a lot of options out there.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of different products that are being now specifically catered uh, to folks. And I've seen one that's very heavily advertised are these tub units that have the door uh, that open up. And I know one question I've heard from a lot of people, they're just concerned about that water seal of that door.
1: Yeah, and Ron's done a little more research on that and the technology related to it. And uh, we're going to talk about that here just a little bit later on. But when it comes to these, these are walk-in bathtubs. And there are many people that can't handle that step, that 18 or 20 inches or so to get over that tub. So we're going to talk about the technology and about some of the pros and cons of that particular unit. We'll do
0: that and also take more of your calls coming up. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. If you'd like to reach him, you can go through our website. That is 1-800-614-2975. You can always leave a question there. Or, of course, you can post a question at KenTheContractor.com. And while you're there, check out our podcast of recent programs. Our number, again, is 800 800- 614 2975. That's 800 614 2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. Ken, Ken the Contractor is here and ready to take your calls at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And joining us on the program this week, Ron Doyle. He is our tech guru and you can get in touch with him and find out and follow up on all the things that we've talked about on the program this week by going to his website. You can click on to Ken's website, kenthecontractor.com
1: and find the link right on the front page, ronthetechguru.com. You know, before the break, we were talking a little bit about uh, plumbing and technology and some of the changes that have taken place there. And, Ron, in some cases what you and I do overlap. We were talking about the, the this walk-in tub that I've discussed right. from time to time on the show that for many people is making it easier for them to actually take a tub bath, if that's what they like, because they can't handle the step over the tub, but you open a door and you walk in. Now, like any product, sure. there are pluses and minuses, this one also has a lot of technology to it that's well beyond the bathtub most of us just grew up with. It has a cases. lot of electronics. So tell us a little bit about what some of your research has revealed from the technical side and some of the pros and cons that you're hearing about.
3: Well, you know, I started looking at these, and I thought, this is something
1: great. I would like one of these.
3: You walk in the door, you sit down in the warm water, you know, you get it with the jacuzzi or the hydrotherapy unit built in. This is great. And I started reading. Uh, some people do think they're great. No problems. Love them to death. Uh, a lot of caretakers love it because it keeps the people living at home instead of having to go to an assisted living facility because being able to bathe is apparently one of the things you lose when you get uh, up there a little bit. So that's all good. Uh, now, some of the others say, though, bad things. Uh, if anybody has a bit of claustrophobia, it uh, can really freak them out because it's a smaller space. As you were saying, it's built to fit in a regular tub slot.
1: Correct? Right. Same size. The a 60-inch opening.
3: But if you ever look at them on TV and things, uh, they look large. looks like a little jacuzzi or something. Uh, but uh, they take up that space, and with the thicker walls and all the machinery built into the walls, uh, it's really kind of small on the inside. So that could bother people. Another one is uh, if you get them with some of the handy uh, attachments, I'm sure that they make some with just water faucets, and that's good. But uh, if you get some with this hydrotherapy unit or the warming water, uh, which I imagine they all have the warmers, uh, technologically, some folks that get older have a little dementia going on, and they have a hard time with that. They can't figure out how to work the button. So
1: some of these are computer-controlled as well? Well, I don't know that they're computer-controlled, but switches
3: on the outside okay. edge of the tub or up on the wall. Uh, well, the safe part is they've all been built so if they have heat units, you can't turn the heat up but so high. So, you know,
1: they've got safety features, scald guard, correct, those type of items. Guard all that.
3: Uh, so those were some of the things. Now here's another one that I had never thought of. Any of you see TV shows back in the past, uh, they'd always tell you, now if your car goes over the cliff into the water, mm-hmm. what do you have to do before you can open the door? Got to wait for the pressure to equal on the inside and the out, which means you got to let the car fill up with water before you can open the car door. So same thing on these kind of the opposite. Uh, you walk in a door, you sit down, and then you have to fill them up. So you cut the hot water on. It fills it up. Oh, that's great. Uh, you've got heaters in there. keeps it warm. But guess what you have to do before you can open the door to get back out? Better be letting that water out. You have to let the water drain right on down, and that could take a few minutes. Then you're sitting there shivering in the cold. So that may or may not, you know, like I said, some people don't even mention that. doesn't bother them. Others complain about that. seems like one of their larger complaints.
1: Yeah, technology.
3: We've got another uh, question about the the bathroom. Robert joins us right
0: now. Robert, hi. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor.
1: Uh, Yes, I've got a
4: question. Uh, I'm getting moisture on my ceiling in the bathroom.
5: Okay. And
4: uh, the thing is vented through the fan up in the attic with just a hose. It's... That sufficient enough, or is that why the moisture is getting on the
1: ceiling? Okay. Well, you may have a couple of issues going on. First off, a fan when you say it's vented into the attic, fans should be vented if it's vented at all. And there are ductless or ventless fans, which I am not a fan of and do not support. They've got a charcoal filter in them because they have no, they can't discharge the humidity. Okay, they are simply there to help take care of odors, but. For the fan to be vented, it needs to be vented to the exterior, whether that's out through the wall or through the soffit of the house, because what if it's vented only into the attic, and that's what I understood you to say, then you're putting that moisture back in the attic space. You want to vent it directly to the outside. But secondly, the fan may be undersized for that particular room. How large is the bathroom? Is it a very small one or extremely large?
4: It's kind of small, but the, the vent hose is just laying between the rafters, and it goes to the soffit and just lays there. It's no vent to the outside.
1: Okay, well, it's not it, it's vented
4: still... outside. Does it need to be vented outside?
1: I always have. I do and will continue to do that. And I think in most locations, the building code requires a positive vent to the outside. Uh, apparently, uh-huh. apparently, the intent was to assume or rather that this vent, it would be vented through the holes, the preparations in your soffit vents. But I'd always right. take it directly to the outside. It may be creating some back pressure so that you're not able to vent. If it moves at 75 or 100 CFM cubic feet per minute, it may not be able to discharge that amount of air because of the back pressure based on where the hose is installed. Also, be sure right. that hose is not crimped, again, creating the back pressure. The, you're going to have moisture in bathrooms. We, uh, we've had uh, questions on the show about that, in fact, earlier. And uh-huh. so you need to be sure that that fan is adequate for the size of the room. And generally, a, the smaller bathroom fans are fine for uh, the standard bathroom that's in the marketplace. So secondly, I would check the venting of it and be sure that it is able to discharge properly and that it's not clogged on the inside. If it's very uh-huh. old, they fill up with dust, and you may have insulation in them as well. I've experienced that. And it's not yeah, doing job. Yeah, there is
4: insulation around the box in the attic, so it could. The insulation could be inside of it.
1: Yeah, it has. At one point, it worked properly, and you didn't have the moisture problem, but now you do. Is is that a fair statement? Or, yes. Uh-huh. Okay, that would tell yeah. me that this is more of a maintenance issue rather than needing to upgrade or change the size of something. And if you have to buy a new fan, they're relatively inexpensive, generally under a hundred dollars. Uh, so, uh-huh. And it is something that most homeowners can do themselves. If you're not comfortable with it, then you need to hire an electrician or an HVAC contractor.
4: Would 70 be enough or would you go higher?
1: On the CFMs? Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. For um, I don't remember the rating by code, but for a normal bathroom, let's say that's going to be up to about 7 by 8, something like that, that's yep. about right. Uh, the 70 CFM, you're going to have to jump up to a larger size if the bad- bathroom gets much larger, up to 100 or so.
4: But I should should put a soffit vent in there, correct?
1: I certainly would. Be sure you've got an insect and bird screen behind it so you don't have those critters finding a place to build a nest during the cooler Uh, months.
4: Okay. Well, thank you very much.
1: Thanks for listening. Appreciate your call. Don't forget, you can reach Ken Patterson,
0: Ken the Contractor, each week are right here at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And this this week, Ron Doyle, our tech guru, has been with us, and he's going to leave you with a, a few different things that you can look for for your Christmas shopping list. We may not get to all of these, but you can find them on Ron's website, which is ronthetechguru.com. And I've only got about 30 seconds, so give me the coolest one There on you list. go,
3: the one that I like the best that I would actually get, and I've actually seen this. And you'd spend your own money? I would spend my money. That says a lot for for his wife. It's on his Christmas list. Because I'm tight. But anyway, have you ever gotten anything in a package in these clamshell, thick plastic packages? And it's like you can't open them. You can't with a razor blade, but then you cut your fingers. Right. They make a thing called an open it plastic package opener. And it almost looks like a garden tool. And it's got big handles on it. And you can grip it easy if you're older or like me and you're just lazy. Uh, and you can just cut them right open. Works great. And you can find out more. Go to Ron's
0: website. Just go to kenthecontractor.com and you'll see the clink of the link right on the front page. Ron Doyle, RonTheTechGuru.com. We've got to take a break. You're listening to Ken the Contractor.